So, like I said, I'm going to speak really quickly here because I know we're outside and it's a nice day. We want to hang out and eat lunch together and all that sort of thing. But I just want to draw our attention to just a few things. Um, but before I do, I want Andrea to come up. Andrea's going to read the stories of Easter morning out of two of the Gospels. You know, we have four Gospels. All of them account this uh, story. And they all account it a little bit differently, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. But I asked Andrea to come. She's going to read out of Matthew and out of John. And uh, then we'll talk about that. So Matthew 28. I'll check my note here. Hold on. Or I'm going to read too much. Okay, 28, 1 through 10. All right. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Sorry, I have to cheat. You're good. All right, so then Luke Wait, John, right? 20, John. John, yes, John 20, John 20, 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, okay, who had reached the tomb first, <clears throat> also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Amen. Amen. And sorry, we're having some weird sound problems over here, so apologies to everyone. But like I said, I just have a couple brief... Hello? <laughs> wow. Awesome. The, uh, uh, I have a couple brief thoughts about Easter that I just want to share with you. Um, because I think it's, it's like Christmas. It's one of those things where we encounter it every year. And they, if, you're, if you've known the Lord for a while, they can kind of, yeah, you know, we know what this is all about. And we just kind of move on. And then you don't really reflect on the importance or the immensity of what's going on. And Easter is a day that we celebrate, just in case you don't know. Because I know Easter is one of those days where, like, you come to church because your mom made you. And you don't really know what any of this is about. I'm going to try to fill you in a little, okay? So if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to give you some, uh, some info here. Easter is the day that we celebrate that Jesus Christ rose from the dead 2,000 years ago in Israel. And it's the foundational fact of our faith and the event of our faith. And it's the most important fact in human history. And I think it'd be the event that defines human history. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say that. And I'm actually using the word fact on purpose because in our way of thinking, see, our culture is what you would call post-enlightenment, which means a couple hundred years ago, some guys really got together and thought about how we should think about things and what things are important and how those types of things should be evaluated and all that sort of thing. And we were very comfortable, like nowadays, this is how we think. There's facts, which are things that we can prove with like science or whatever. And then there's other things that you might put faith in, and then we'll call those beliefs. But it might be okay, like I believe it, you don't believe it, that's okay. So something like, well, Jesus rose from the dead, and it's like, that's just a belief, not a fact. And I'm saying, no, it's actually in fact a fact. <laughs> and it matters a lot to think of it that way. But really, these are just, the, whole, the whole situation we're looking at is, these are just ways of understanding things, and they're limited. And they're not bad, they're just, they just have a role, and they're limited. Meaning like, for example, um, science is a good way to understand what's happening, or what will happen what will happen? If you put these two things together, they'll explode. Or if you do this, it'll burn, that sort of thing. We need that sort of information. Another way of knowing things is like philosophy, you know? And so science can help us understand what's happening, but it can't help us understand why or give us meaning. You know, why do we even exist? You know, why do you feel the way you feel? All these sorts of things. And philosophy can maybe even help us understand what God would be like if there was a God. He would be like this, but it can't help us to actually know him. And that's what I want to talk about today is knowing God. And we want to look at these stories um, that we just read, mainly the one out of John, just because I think it'll fit with what we're talking about, to talk about knowing Jesus, knowing God. Because Jesus came that we might know God just as he knows us. And the Bible invites us into a different way of knowing, which is the knowing of a story. It's the story of God and God's redemption of all things that we are now invited to be involved in. And through it, we can know who God is and what God is like. I'm gonna, there's a quote here. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of a man named Leslie Newbegin, who's a missionary. And I, I mean, honestly, I would like to talk about this for a long time, but I'm going to have to just kind of... That speaker's driving me crazy. I'm going to have to just paraphrase because... Uh, but if anybody wants to start like a nerdy sermon listening club where we just discuss sermons this guy's preached i'd be glad to do that with you but he has a quote here he says it's never been at any time possible to fit the resurrection of jesus into any worldview except a worldview of which it is the basis meaning that you can't look at something like what jesus did on easter morning and evaluate it by the types of external evaluation evaluational measures we would typically want to use 
Meaning if this, if this fits and that fits, then that makes sense to me, or, if, or I'll understand it. It has to be the basis of which we understand everything, because it doesn't have an equivalent event to measure it against. You know, like a science experiment, you can repeat. That's part of the whole point. You see, this is a one-time deal that changed everything, and it has to be the, the way we start understanding stuff. And another quote that he has, which is more famous, Leslie Newbegin again, Somebody asked him near the end of his life, they said, and he was a missionary, he was a missionary to India, and then he came back to England and worked from there, and somebody said, are you an optimist, do you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist? And he said in response, I'm neither an optimist or a pessimist, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And what he's saying with that is it doesn't matter if I'm looking for the good in things or the bad in things. I've built my entire life and our entire existence is around this understanding that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that's the definition of everything that's important, or at least the beginning of the understanding of everything that's important. Whether or not I think towards positive or negative things, you know, on the given day. Uh, I'm going to switch microphones. Maybe that'll help. Hold on. I feel like we're in some sort of like Jamaican club and it's like some sort of distorting speaker, you know, which would be cool in that context. Don't hear that on, you know, anyway. Um, so <laughs> I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And N.T. Wright re reinterpreting that said, in other words, something has happened. And as a result, the world is a different place. And that's what I want to talk about. So what has happened and how is the world a different place? So what has happened? And in, 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 like we all know this, even if you just came to church because your mom made you, um, Easter's about celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead. He died on the cross on Friday, and then all of a sudden on Sunday, he's not, he's not dead anymore. What's the big deal, right? Well, Jesus is, in Revelation 1.18, you see this, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. That's a big deal. Because what Jesus is saying is it like the original creation that God does out of nothing? Now we have the beginning of a new creation, and Jesus is the firstborn of this new creation. And it's changing everything, and, it can, and it's reaching into our time now, and he invites us to be a part of it. He's not just like, when he, rose, when he went to see Lazarus, he prayed for a dead man he raised from the dead. Lazarus lived a full life, and he died again. Otherwise, we might know him now, you see. Jesus is saying, I live forever. And he's inviting us to live forever with him. That's a completely different picture than just raising from the dead in order to die again. But just to kind of draw, draw this, drive this point home, I want us to kind of evaluate this as if we were the disciples themselves. Because we followed Jesus. He's called us. We followed him. We're doing the kind of things he's telling us to do. We are following his example. We're watching him heal people like sick people are coming up. They have a busted hand. He prays for it. It's not busted anymore. There's blind people. They can see. This is like big deal stuff. This wakes you up. You go, this is a real guy. I'm following him. This is a real deal. He raises a guy from the dead. I mean, come on. He's confounding all of the, op the oppressive leaders and all this kind of stuff. But then all of a sudden... He's getting arrested, and all of a sudden, he's being tortured, and he's being killed. And then on Friday, he dies on the cross, which this is, this death on a cross, which we talked a lot about recently, so I don't want to, like, totally belabor this, but this is a Roman method of execution. It's meant to be excruciating and terrible, and not something that God should experience. And not something, certainly, if we're following, these guys have been waiting for a leader, for a Messiah, someone to set them free, someone to take care of business. It looks like he's doing it, and then all of a sudden, he's dead. Now, if we're his followers, you're in a weird headspace for a couple days there. Because was, were you wrong 
You know, you have all your hopes and dreams are put in this guy. There's even times he said hard things. He's like, are you guys going to leave too? He's like, no, what are, what are we going to do? We've, we've thrown in with you. I mean, we don't have anything even left to go away too. And then the whole thing's just over. Now, it's a funny thing if you read through these gospel stories, even the ones we just read about the resurrection and everything. Jesus, like the whole time, is telling everybody like what's going to happen. And they're all like, no, 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 that's not right. Stop saying that. You know? And so it's not like, even I think it, to me, I mean, I, I'm reading this into the text, but when you have these angels talking to everybody on Easter morning, especially you see like a Mark, they like, they kind of add in like, like he said, you know, Jesus is, you know, he rose like he said he would, and he's going to meet you in Galilee, like he said, like, you know, like, listen when I'm talking, you know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. I, I'm reading that in, obviously, but I think that's funny. But you find yourself stuck because... Were you wrong to put your faith in Jesus? Were you wrong to follow him? Were you wrong to do all these things? Why didn't he save himself? When they were yelling at him, if you can really save people, why don't you save yourself? You would think the exact same thing. You're like, why didn't he? I don't know why he didn't. That's what I'm saying you would be thinking. Again, I have a Leslie Newbegin quote here, which I'll just be using these throughout. The crucifixion is not a defeat overturned by the resurrection. The crucifixion is a victory revealed by the resurrection. See, what Jesus was doing was something far more significant than what anybody was expecting him to do. And that tends to be how our relationship with God goes. We have a way we want him to take care of business. And he doesn't do that because he's God and doesn't have to do what we want him to do. And then we start to go, gosh, why was I wrong to put my faith in him? Was I wrong to trust him? Was I wrong for all this? And so you say, like, the question is this. Why didn't he save himself? The answer, because he was saving us instead. He decided for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning and shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew that by going through this process that he would, he would liberate us. I'm going to get into everything that the cross did, but the, that he knew what he was doing. And he told him it was necessary for him to do it, that I must go, that I might save you. In the meantime, it's very hard. I used to say a thing that's like the trouble with Jesus is that he's alive. Meaning that, you know, if I want to pretend like, you know, I could tell you, well, Abraham Lincoln would have done this, you know. He's not around here to tell you, like, to disagree. You know, you might disagree with me because you read a different book or something like that. But the point is, he's not around, to, you know. Jesus is alive now, like it says here, sitting in the right hand of the throne of God. So you could, I could say all kinds of stuff about Jesus sitting up here right now. That doesn't mean any of it's true, and it doesn't mean that he'll he will validate it. You see what I'm saying? He could go, no, I didn't do that, or no, I don't think that way, or that sort of thing. And that's what I'm talking about, about knowing him. But so often we think he's failed us, and we've lost, because he didn't do what he thought he would do. But then suddenly, you walk into an empty tomb, and maybe the story's not over yet. That's what's happening on this day. And you see in that John passage we read, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, which is the guy who wrote it, you know, he's like saying, I got there first, but then Peter came and went straight in, and he saw something, he's like, finally the other guy went in, which is me. He reached, finally the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside, he saw and believed. So he sees Jesus is no longer dead, and he's believing. So his life's not retained. So what has happened? Jesus is no longer dead. That's what has happened. So how is the world a different place? We said there's two things. Something has happened that now the world is a different place. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 19 says this, For Christ's love compels us because we were convinced 
that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen to this now, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Through Christ, or, sorry, I was read that again. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. So I'm going to breeze through this really fast because I don't want to um, <laughs> labor the point too much. What, is, what has happened? What has changed? How is the world a different place? One, the new creation has begun. The original creation is, this, again, a non-repeatable event. God creates out of nothing, and then there's things, and then those things live on, and then he gives us uh, he creates mankind and we choose, you know, the only thing he holds back from us is the knowledge of good and evil. And we choose that over him. We can do better, we say. And it irreparably or it, it breaks our relationship with him. It puts us under the bondage of sin and death and the reign of Satan and all this sort of thing. And Jesus knows. God says, he starts in the whole Old Testament is the story of God electing the people of Israel to, through them, bring forth a savior who is Jesus, God himself, coming into a bodily form of a man to save us from this sin and the brokenness. And what he does is he does these things. He, 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 new creation has begun. He reconciles the world to himself, meaning that the, when, the sinfulness that keeps us from God, he can wipe that clean and bring us back to himself. And he also gives us the freedom from sin and death. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what Jesus did on the cross, and it's a mysterious way, we could talk for days about how this might work, but it doesn't matter for today. Because you don't, know, have, you don't have to know how to cook a great meal to know it's good. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to know how all this food tastes or why it's digestible or whatever. You can just say, it's a small child. We go, that's good. You see what I'm saying? What I'm telling you is, it's good. And we'll talk about how another time. But Jesus offers this freedom from sin and death. And what does that mean? That even though we die, or that we pass through death, we don't have to be afraid of it because we know at the end, because of what Jesus has done and what he offers us, the gift of salvation that he gives us, we will live again with him like he's living now. In resurrected bodies. Not spirits floating off somewhere, playing harps on clouds and stuff. But in real bodies, because that's what the end of the Bible is talking about. But when you talk about knowing God, big changes are hard to adjust to. And I, and I want to see this. Again, we, we talked about the disciple, the guys coming in. Let's talk about the women for a second. So she gets there and they, they uh, just kind of walk through this with me just really quick. So you think you're sure Jesus died. You saw that. You helped get him maybe to the tomb. It's closed. And one of the gospels, they're talking about like, how are we going to even open this thing? Because they put a rock in front of it. Like, what are we going to do? Who's going to open it? And then they find it's open, all this kind of stuff. Very practical. Like, we're not expecting a spiritual moment here. We're saying our friend has died. We're very sad, but we have this obligation ritually to go put spices on the body and stuff like that. You see what I'm saying? But you're sure he's died. You, this is not a time that God's going to break in and do anything. 
we're just going to take care of business because we like we love this guy and we, we don't understand what's happened. We're disappointed, but we're doing what we need to do. We don't even know how it's going to work. Then you get there, the tomb's open. Shocker. You're scared. Oh, they've come and stolen. Like, they can't even leave the guy alone. He's dead. Then you go in there and there's like angels and stuff. And they're like, why are you crying? And we're like, well, I'm crying because they've messed this whole thing up, you know? That's an angel you're talking to. But you can be so sure that God is dead in this area of your life that God could send an angel and you wouldn't even notice what he's talking about. They're like, why are you crying? Like, he's not here. He's risen. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, it doesn't even go in. And then the weirder thing, you keep going down, and she goes out crying, rightfully, because she thinks God is dead in her life and in everywhere. And then she sees Jesus. But she thinks he's just the gardener or the guy who takes care of the place. And he's like, look, guy, if you've been doing stuff, can, can you stop? Show me where you put it. I don't know if, you know, this, isn't, this is not okay. So you, 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 you're sure God is dead in your life. And now you're going to encounter God himself. Not the angel. The angel didn't do it. When God himself now is talking to you. And you're like, come on. Can you show me where God is? Because I need God. And you, you've, this whole thing, you know. And what breaks through to her? He says her name, doesn't he? And that is what I'm talking about. You can know all kinds of things about God. You can know all kinds of things about how God did things. You could even read the Bible a whole lot. I don't even know. But you need to hear Jesus call your name or God will be dead to you. Amen. It doesn't matter how good I share anything, how good or bad the sound system works, how any of this stuff. Even, even gathering together or anything. If you can't hear Jesus call your name, none of this will penetrate. You'll be walking around weeping, knowing God is dead. And there's nothing I can do to make that happen. It's something God, Jesus, the active, alive Jesus can do himself. And I pray that he will speak to your heart today in literal and tangible ways. Because... The God who created everything, the God who came, the God who died on what we call Good Friday, the God who re resurrected again on this day that we call Easter, loves each and every one of us by name. We don't deserve his love and we don't deserve his mercy, but we get it. And he calls us each by our name. And then like that verse says, I read it and he is, he's like, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not committing, not counting people's sins against him. And he's committed us to the message of reconciliation. So when you know this, we need to be committed to the, the message of reconciliation. Not division, not anger, not hatred. The message of reconciliation. One more look. It compels us to change, to repent, to leave behind the evil things that we do and the desires of our heart and to follow Jesus, our shepherd. Okay, one more Leslie Newbigin quote, and then we're done here. It is less important to ask a Christian what he or she believes about the Bible than it is to inquire what he or she does with it. So if you know the good news, we have to be living by it. We have to be sharing it. And it, and it goes like this. 
This isn't like, okay, I get it, now the rules come in. It's like, no, 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 no. You have to understand. If he's calling your name, okay, you can sit there in church or whatever, and it's, it's, a, it's a contrast between these two things. A lot of people think the way this works is, I obey God, then he accepts me. The true discipleship is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey, because I see the truth of this whole thing. None of us got it worked out. You can't earn it. You can't. <laughs> the Bible talks about our righteousness as being a pile of dirty rags. So you can go with that as far as you want, but you're not going to get very far. And I think Kevin might be able to tell better. I think those dirty rags might imply like bodily fluids. So uh, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin can verify or not. He said, keep going. Okay. That's your righteousness, guys. But uh, I don't think I need to say any of the rest of this stuff. I want to close. Kayla, come on up here. So Jesus left his disciples, his last kind of action. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of all creation. He's God. He's come now as a man, humbled himself fully to be born a baby, fully dependent on other people, which is crazy when you think about it. His mom had to take care of him. His dad had to take care of him. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. This is God we're talking about. He lives his whole life doing only good things and they kill him for it. The last night he's with his disciples. He, he, bow, he kneels before them and washes their feet. He's the king of the universe, God himself as a man. And this is like the lowly servant job in their society. He washes their feet because no one else is doing it. And he's doing it. And he's like, this is how, this, this is how you are to be big in the kingdom of God is to do this type of thing. And um, then he leaves and they go to the Passover meal, which we just celebrated and talked about in the church, which is celebrating God's freedom of the Israelite people from a bondage of slavery and Egypt and God doing that. And during that meal, he takes a moment and he co-ops it into a new covenant symbol and ritual and giving meaning and saying that what I'm about to do as he went to the cross the next day is going to change everything. Not that this other stuff is bad. It's all needed to get to where we are. But where we are now, this is going to change everything. And it's not going to change everything in just spiritual, like I said, fact and belief. Not just in the belief category. Because you can believe a lot of weird and crazy stuff. It's changing it in the fact category and in any other way of knowing that's deeper or stronger to us, whatever. He's saying, what I'm about to do will make all things new. And I'm going to leave you with something to remind you of that. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, this new creation you see at the end of Revelation, which is like the end of the story where all things are made right. That's the hope of the future. That's the way it's going to be. Right now we're in the in-between part. Like I said this is a story we get invited into. It's not over yet. In the end, all will be well. It says like there's no more, there's no more war, there's no more tears, all these things. That's what life with God is like in the end. Until then, the world rages against it. 
It brings suffering. Usually, like to be elected by God or chosen by God literally means almost to suffer in this world, but not suffer as, as the world does with the indwelling hope and life of God at the same time. You see, it's, it's like the world pushes again, but God, he, he pushes so much more from the inside. But the thing is, he left us with this marker to remind us of several things. And again, I don't get to, but when he says, this is my body, when he takes the bread from the pastors and he says, this is my body and it's given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. He's telling us to do exactly what we're about to do. It'd be better if we had the one loaf and the cup and everything, but we'll do it this way because of COVID. But the thing is, he is telling you, I am your sustenance. Like you're literally eating this. It's becoming part of you. The body and blood of Jesus living within you is a symbol of, of Jesus coming inside of you and living inside of you. And then we proclaim this death and the power of this death against all that stuff the world has said will throw at you until he comes. Because the end of the story is written already. It's going to happen. But like the world and like our own mind and like the disciples and stuff you see in these stories, it's hard to keep your mind straight on what God's doing. Even when he tells you. He's like, this is what I'm going to do. And you're like, that, what? And then when you see it happen, it doesn't look anything like what you thought. That's Okay. That's, that's actually the proof of God's really active here, okay? So let's take this. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to pray and bless this time. And then I want us to kind of together eat this bread and drink this juice and remember what Jesus has done for us and proclaim his death against the powers of the enemy in our own lives and in the world around us until he returns. And Kayla's going to lead us in one closing song and then we will part ways with those of you that are online but then also uh, if you want to stay and eat lunch together let's have a picnic. So Father we thank you for what this what your cross means. We thank you for what this day means, this Easter day Lord. We thank you for what that you live eternally and that you invite us to live with you and receive your salvation. And Father for any of us of, of those of us here that haven't received from you the gift of salvation Father I want to pray that, Lord, we do we confess we've not done right. We've done wrong, Lord. We've chosen our path over yours, but, Lord, we repent. And we ask that you would give us your life everlasting that you've promised. And, Lord, we receive that gift as a free gift, an undeserving gift, Lord. And, and I, we thank you, Lord. I pray that you would, as we drink this cup and eat this bread, we would hear your voice speak our name. In your name we pray. Amen.